it's time to start the show. Outstanding from Jake Weatherall. He comes back for two. The 18th Big Bash 100, but the first in a final. Romanian, Pavel Florin, the bodyguard. You look at him there. Sandwich to square a jaw for TV as he's in. And the first ball is well flighted. to the Centre Wicket Podcast on 91.3 Sport FM. Here's your host, Ethan Rock. Hello all and welcome back to another edition of the Centre Wicket Podcast on 91.3 Sport FM and wherever else you might be listening to from. As always, I'm Ethan Roth, joined by Bray Lovridge and Bray, a short turnaround episode. How are you? Yeah, great, Ethan. Uh, a couple of days off and we're straight back into it. Uh, getting ready for the test summer that is coming mm. uh, up very soon. Yeah, that starts on Thursday, Thursday the, yep. the day-nighter. Um, but next to him, former WA Perth Scorched and Brisbane Heat uh, bowler with 19 first-class matches, 12 this day. Matches and seven T20s, all up taking 89 wickets. Uh, these days, he's a player coach down at D- Gosnell's uh, District Cricket Club in the Premier Competition here in Perth. Ryan Duffield, welcome aboard the show. How are you going? Good boys, how are we? Yeah, Very going good. well. Um, so, we'll get as we said off air, we'll get started with the, the questions from us. Um, so, born in Narragin and raised in Bunbury. Um, tell us a bit about growing up in those communities and the path you took uh, in cricket, which led you to receiving a rookie contract with Western Australia in 2010-11. Um, yeah, so born in Narragin, I obviously grew up on a farm in Darkin, so I was um, lived there till I was about 12 and then moved to Collie. That's where I first played my yeah. first competitive game of cricket because Darkin was too small a town. We, um, we didn't have the opportunities to play much competitive stuff. You might play a, a carnival once a year against the neighbouring uh, towns and that so Williams, Wage and mm. Wickipen, those kind of places um, and from there moved to Collie and then from Collie when I was about 15 uh, went away to Wesley College and boarded there for uh, three, two or three years and um, that's probably where my cricket progressed um, quite a bit being able to play uh, PSA cricket, Orco Cup um, Sorry, Darlow Cup, not all goes a football competition. Um, Darlow Cup and um, had some really good coaching and got picked in the state 17 side from there. And well, I guess once you're in the pathway, it tends it's probably an easier um, transition into playing uh, state cricket or being because you're on their radar for the whacker yeah. and so forth. And um, but then went uh, to started at Gosnell's Cricket Club from there from school. Um, through on a family alignment, alignment more than anything and um, went out there and slogged it out there for two or three years and didn't have, a, had some injury issues and so forth but, um, and went to move to Melville Cricket Club and on the back of my first year there had a really good start there and uh, got, a, got the opportunity of a rookie contract that, that following season so um, yeah I mean I 
left a fair bit out because it'd probably take me another 10 yeah. minutes to run you through the ins and outs of everything but um yeah it was a i probably didn't get my rookie contract till i was 21 22 so i had a solid three or four years in premier cricket mm. of uh trying to pl- uh well find find my way for a bit as a cricketer and um, and also just probably develop and mature a little bit over that period as well. Yeah, because cricket's like a mental game. It's it take, mm. does take some time, twenties um, to to start get into the realms of it. But mm. yeah, of course, uh, it didn't take you long to have an impact for Western Australia, taking sixteen wickets in six games in the Futures League, which was a, was a record, and then a further three wickets on Shield debut, including the wicket of Aaron Finch. Uh, did you expect to do so well early on in your career? No, absolutely not. I um, as I, kind of the first year was just a real, real whirlwind, I suppose. Um, I think to get the opportunity to play futures league cricket, uh, which is what it was called back then, was a, you know that was awesome. Um, and for me, like it was a big step up from from playing uh, grade cricket, and then I guess to kind of do reasonably well without. Yeah, it probably didn't set the world on fire, but it was it was really good for my own development as a cricketer. And then uh, probably my opportunity around playing shield cricket was on the back of um, the pre- having a pretty good pre-season um, and just a lot of a host of injuries, really. So that's how I got my opportunity to play, yep. to start in the shield team. And I guess, yeah, I, I probably, I think I not only surprised myself, but I surprised everyone <laughs> else about how well I started. So. Mm. And uh, you said you didn't set the world on fire, but in just your fourth Shield match, uh, you had figures of 9 for 141, with eight of those uh, dismissing current or future Test players. Um, and that, that must have given you great confidence in your ability, especially uh, you beat Dennis Lilly's record of most wickets in the debut, debut season and becoming the fastest West Australian to 50 uh, first-class wickets. Yeah, as I said, it kind of it was a it was just a bit of momentum more than anything. I, like we weren't playing amazing cricket as a team. We were pretty young. Mickey Arthur was our coach, and we had some good experienced players around us. Um, but we, uh, yeah, we just we were just a bit. It was a bit of a dysfunctional um, group, I suppose, in terms of us. We had, we knew the direction we wanted to head. Um, we just hadn't quite put it all together in a in a game of cricket and uh, in f- over four days and. Uh, I guess it was pleasing for myself my, on, on an individual um, aspect to have, yeah, started well, and that and that was a really special my one and only uh, first uh, first class five But um, I think from that point, that just I kept learning every every time I bowled, every time I played a game, even one day games and and four day games. No, you know, no well, no matter how well I bowled or how bad I bowled, I'd always walk away with something new that I. would I had picked up where I'd learnt, and that kind of really helped me um, developing through the remainder of that that season. Um, yeah, and I guess um, the uh, the fifty first class wickets and and the uh, DK's record. It's probably something that I've never really thought about. I, I know I know of it, but it's probably something that. I, you don't tend to, and it might be, you know, once I retire properly and you can kind of reflect on things like that. Um, but it's probably something that I've never really, yeah, taken on board as much as I probably should have done, to be honest. But it's, yeah, yeah I mean, it was a huge, huge honour to have to have done that. And obviously it <coughs> was a bit of good reward. It was a reward for probably a bit of work that I'd done to get to that point. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so in 2012, you played for the Perth Scorchers in the Champions League, uh, which was held in South Africa. 
Uh, what was the experience like over there <laughs> playing in that? Yeah, it was, to be honest, I, again, it's a bit of a theme with my uh, my debuts, to be honest. Um, that was in on the infamous tour where quite a few of the boys got, uh, mm. I'd say, suspended, but there was a... The Marsh Brothers? Yeah, yeah. There was, they, they were left out of the... So I kind of was uh, a bit like Stephen Bradbury. I was one of the last blokes left at the finishing post, so I got uh, got the opportunity. But, um, yeah, it was, again, something like that whole tournament was unbelievable. You know, I, we were uh, staying at a, these ridiculously nice hotels in South Africa. And there was one that had, like, a shopping mall, nightclubs, everything, you know, it all in one. And I remember we went to uh, a bar one night and, there was us, Kolkata Night Riders. Um, might have been the other Sydney Sixers were the other Australian side. There was about four teams in there, mm. and you know, we would and everyone was like mingling and <coughs> so forth. And I just remember go, like meeting guys like uh, Was a Mac Graham and some of the people like I was just seeing the Jacques Callas. Yeah. Um, and we obviously in our team had you know guys like Herschel and and so forth. But just the people that you you're around, Mahalia J. Warden, and like. Mm-hmm. you met and sitting there and having like talking to them and just like i mean you'd, i'd never really said much i just sat, <laughs> just sat and listened to them but the amount of experience like in one room and like some of the biggest names in the world in world cricket you know it was pretty yeah, it was a bit of a pinch yourself mm-hmm. kind of experience the whole time and you know there'd be plenty of awkward lifts lift rides at, in the hotels and yeah. that you jump in there and there's you know as i said you got joe warden and sangakara and guys like that standing <laughs> there and you you just sit there quietly uh go down the lift but it was um yeah it was an unreal experience and you know i'm glad i was able to play one game on albeit at the uh, expense of a couple of the boys misbehaving um but yeah it was a, it was an awesome awesome experience yeah. for three or four weeks would have been nicer for us to have stayed a little bit longer and had a bit more mm. success so yeah and they don't they don't do the champions league anymore i think um they probably canned it after the year. It was bbl2 i think it was yeah yeah it was i think yeah i'm not too sure it was it was a Really, it was an awesome tournament. It's a shame they did because, yeah, I mean, normally the only reason we had it in South Africa that year was because I think when there's a an election in India, you're not allowed to travel. Like, then no one yeah. travels over there because obviously it's a safety risk or, or so mm. forth. But yeah, so we I, I got lucky then because yeah, South Africa is <laughs> an unbelievable place. If you ever get yourself get a chance, mm. get over there because it's incredible. Mm. I think the scorches and the heat were the last two teams to go over two teams yeah. in the BBL2 final so mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you signed with the Brisbane Heat for the 2014-15 season <coughs> how did this sort of um, come about and in them approaching you and then you shifting over there for that summer uh, yeah it was a it was a strange one I um, I'd actually I'd started pre- well obviously contracted with, with the Wacker and we'd come off the um, previous year obviously the disappointment of the, the Shield final um, and that knocked me around a little bit but um, I was basically I was 12th man or you know in the in the playing 12 or 13 for the Scorchers pretty much every game up until the last the the, the final of the which we which we obviously won in BBL 3 was it? yeah yeah three, so yeah. Um, and with the guys you know they obviously had Scorchers had guys like Dorf you know Joel Paris and then there was probably guys that were all they probably in longer term prospects um, mm. And for me, it was about just getting an opportunity. Um, yeah. So that was the main thing for going for going to Brisbane. And I mean, I had a pretty interrupted pre-season. I was flying up until 
probably halfway through pre-season and I snapped my hammy tendon fielding in a field, um, at the Wacker. So that I didn't basically play a game of cricket until I think I played maybe half a grade game before going to Brisbane for the Big Bash. Um, so I was a little bit uh, underdone, but I guess the opportunity arose um, and I thought, well, I was never going to be guaranteed mm. games. At the, and not that you ever want to be guaranteed, but I just felt that I probably wasn't going to get the opportunity um, I had a coffee with Vogesy about it, and you know he's someone throughout my whole whole career. I always, you know, even now, like his coach of WI, I'll ring him and we'll go and have a beer, and mm. you know I always ask him for advice. And um, I spoke to him, and he he just said, I think you you know you've got to do what's best for you in terms of taking it off where you're going to get the most opportunity. Yeah. And um, it was it was a big decision because I'm a WA boy. I love you know I love Western Australia. I you know I love the Scorchers. Uh, and I loved, loved all my mates, so I didn't really, it wasn't something that, um, you know, I was looking to get out of WA to play mm. cricket or anything. Yeah, I, yeah. I just thought it was an opportunity um, to go on, you know, to go and get some, to play really and, and see how it went. So, um, and yeah, again, I had one good night and the, the remainder after that was a bit, uh, was was pretty tough, but um, yeah, it was, a, yeah, it was still a really good opportunity. And that's one thing, like, I don't think people understand, like, players who, you know, like maybe pl- played for the Scorchers or in WA mm. and then go to like you say like a Tim David for instance mm. um, they don't they probably don't actually want to go to another team they mm. want, probably want to play for the Scorchers but they kind of sometimes have no choice yeah, 100% I mean? yeah, yeah like I grew up as a kid watching the Warriors and yeah, and yeah for me as that was a, it was a childhood mm. you know dream to be able to play play at the Wacker and and some of the guys that I played with over my career you know it's, it's yeah as I said I was always a the little country boy was always inside me where I'd you know, walk out to, and I was walking out alongside Vogesy or Sean Marsh mm. or Mitch Marsh and got Marcus North. You know, there's, there was always um, that, yeah, they said the little country boy inside me that was just like, oh, you know, what am I doing here kind <laughs> of thing. But um, yeah, and so that's for me, I, I said, I was, I was always proud, proud of myself on being loyal to my state. And, but also I think loyalty is always a two way street and also opportunity. And that's the thing I'll never, um, begrudge anyone for if they're looking for more opportunity. Yeah. The same thing I say to my players now at Gosnells is if if they're not getting the opportunity that they, they think they deserve, then I'm never going to say no. You can't mm. leave or I don't. You know, I'm not going to hold you against your own will, kind of yeah. thing. So, mm. I think that's really important. Yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah. So one of the highlights definitely of your career would be that delivery to Glenn Maxwell where he left on the stumps. Uh, you got three for twenty eight that night and were named man of the match at the Gabba. Can you believe what happened with that delivery to Glenn Maxwell? <laughs> yeah, a bit of a shock. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, yeah. I mean, I to be honest, I didn't do a hell of a lot. I bowled the ball, yes, but Maxie did a fair bit of the work for me. <laughs> um, yeah, it was uh, to be honest, it was such a strange night. Like I've I've said this to a few people, the um, it, it had rained all day, like um, you know, like up until probably an hour before the first ball was bowled and had we been in any other state we probably would have been given a, had a phone call at five o'clock that afternoon mm. saying don't bother it's gonna get we're yeah. off it, yeah but brisbane with the humidity and and so forth managed to sure enough get on and at thirty-five thousand people at the gabba it was pretty um pretty intense but um yeah it was i guess how it all you know fell into place nicely and it was, it was probably obviously a with the moisture around and, and the humidity, the ball swung around and nipped around a bit. So it kind of, 
assisted us a fair bit. We managed to get a half decent total on the board, and um, yeah, I mean, with the delivery itself, it was yeah. I actually I, we'd watched a fair bit of his footage leading into that game, and both games leading into that, he'd done something different. Whether it was like a reverse sweep, reverse lap, or switch hit, and this is against seamers as well as mm. spinners. So we were like, well. We feel like he's going to try and do something pretty stupid or, or, or pretty yeah. funky for straight up. So the initial plan was why don't we bo like bowl a bouncer and uh, see see if that um, we'll see what he does more or less. But then at the top of my mark, and luckily Chris Lynn had the wisdom and said no, just just hit the stumps. Mm. And um, yeah, and as I said the rest <laughs> Maxie yeah. took took care of the uh, the rest after that. So yeah. So yeah. The, yeah, that was announced the seventh biggest uh, moment in people history from cricket.com.au. They did that uh, recently. Um, do you feel like you sort of said uh, Maxwell did a lot of the work for you, but do you feel like you deserve a bit more of the credit from um, this? Because he was getting a lot of criticism and people having you know go mm. at him, um, which you probably know affect him a lot mm. mentally. Yeah, I think. Well, to be fair, it was, and even like I actually, funnily enough, we bo we both had well, the next year I went. So I lost my contract into that season. I went to England and was playing at the same club that he'd been playing at yeah. for a couple. And he actually was over on an Australian tour, and we played a round of golf. And we just like had a yeah. We didn't we didn't go in because I felt like a bit of an idiot. Mm -hmm. I was never going to bring it up, but it, we just kind of kind of happened. Yeah, yeah. just, just it, like he just yeah. We were just chatting about it, and um and he's and he actually just said he goes to be fair he goes. I could have stood there and he goes, I probably would have been given LBW. So, like, he goes, <laughs> either way, he goes, it was a pretty good ball. And, yeah, he goes, I just, yeah, a bit of a brain melt. And he'd been copying it in the press, which Maxi tends to, he cops a fair bit of unwarranted stuff as well. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the way he plays, unfortunately. But um, I think that probably that was at a point where it probably had taken a fair bit of toll on him. And st definitely afterwards, was a, he copped, his, uh, copped a fair bit of criticism. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean... I've got no doubt there'll be a fair few pub quizzes in the in the in the, year, in the near future <laughs> where people will be trying to remember who the bowler was. But uh, <laughs> no, nah, it was um, yeah. As I said, I'm just happy to be part of uh, history and uh, mm. this time of year and generally gets a, a couple of runs. So yeah. remind my uh, remind the the players at the cricket yeah. club and the young <laughs> fellas that the coach used to be able to play half decent cricket. So. Yeah, gets gets a few mentions. Yeah, yeah. elite. Um, so yeah, after missing out on that WA contract, twelve months prior. You earned yourself a contract for the 16-17 season. Unfortunately, your body let down towards the end, but how much did you uh, try and enjoy the season as much as you could, knowing that you may not have long left on the squad? Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I lost... Yeah, so the plan was I lost the contract. I mean, the first time... I mean, it's never easy losing your contract in any, or your job or you know anything. Yep. And the first time, I, it, it hit me a lot harder because I was... You know, I'd been. I felt like I was pretty unlucky with injury. Um, I was, as I mentioned earlier, my my hamstring tendon, and then got through. The, played the big bash and was feeling really good. And then the first shield game after Christmas, um, came Richardson hit me on the on the on the thumb, and uh, I broke my thumb. And that's probably of all of my whole career. It's probably one of the. I think I did something that. I don't reckon a lot of players would have done and that was you know I had a broken thumb I, every time I moved I could feel the bone shifting and yeah. still managed to bowl 15 overs in the second innings with a broken thumb in my bowling hand got a run out and and a wicket um, and you know I, I still say that yeah you know, and I, you know I think I felt I earned a lot of respect from the boys 
that day, you know, and it was nothing, you know, I knew that my season was done. So it was like, well, what can I do mm. to try and help as best I can? And I was fortunate that because it was an impact block, I could sit, I could sit off and then just have ice on it to get the swelling down enough yeah. so I could uh, come on and bowl. And um, yeah, it was it was a pretty uncomfortable day and a half. And thankfully, we, we, we had a win and um, I didn't have to bat because that would have been that would have been yeah, not not much fun at all. But um, yeah, that's something that I was probably on reflection really proud of that I was able to to still contribute even though it was and it, and also the disappointment of knowing that after this game my season was done. So I suppose that side and then when it, when I got told I wasn't going to be retained, that caught me off guard a little bit. I didn't expect that I would have been moved on like that quickly, but. Uh, like all things, you know, you, there's, it's a ruthless business. Mm. Um, so we, like, fortunately, my wife, um, or fortunately and unfortunately, she hasn't. Her mother was born in Ireland and her, and her father born in the UK. So and her, her dad played uh, a lot of cricket for Hampshire and and a couple of tests for England. So that was the, and obviously uh, Sean Sean's parents. Um, so the plan was that we'd go to the UK and. I'd play club cricket over there and train with Hampshire and with the with the plan of obviously trying to get a spousal visa of some description to to be able to qualify to play county cricket as a local. Mm. Um, as I said, fortunately and unfortunately that because Siobhan had both passports, I couldn't. Uh, we were going to come in on an EU spousal visa, which her having a UK passport would render that yeah. not not required and. So it was a, excuse my friend, it was a complete shit show. So I mm. uh, had a really enjoyable time playing club cricket over there and, you know, really, it was actually one of the best things for my cricket in general because my bat- I batted a lot more and we played games during the week and although I probably came back a little bit jaded um, coming back and uh, into the uh, Premier Cricket season, it was... Um, the best thing, like my bat, I think ever since that season, I think I've batted so much better. Um, I improved. I just learnt a lot of good things, and um, which took into the following season. And then um, I, I moved over that off season to Perth Cricket Club for that that season as well for Premier Cricket, um, and had a just kind of well, after having a big season in England, took that confidence into into my season with Perth and. Um, yeah, and, and had a really strong, strong season there, and then got another opportunity with WA. Something that I wasn't a hundred percent sure of whether I wanted to kind of enter that cauldron again. Um, yeah. But I always thought that I didn't want to sit back and when I was forty and forty-five and regret not uh, not having a crack when you know I could. I felt that I was still good enough. Um, so I played. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the season you're talking about, but I did play one Shield game, yeah, I think tw- which was a it was a bloody long day that one. Um, and then was twelfth man for for three or four, and just couldn't quite get that last opportunity to to put forward a a performance to, mm. to kind of or some performances to give me the confidence that. And that was the thing for me in the end. It was um, it wasn't my body. I was as fit as I'd ever been. Um, it was more just mentally the mental drain and also just the confidence in actually being able to go out in the middle and and perform well which probably to some extent probably um 
hampered me for the, the, probably the last 18 months of my career, I reckon, in, in a professional sense, mm. yeah. So like many people we've had on, you've moved into the coaching space and had, a, had roles at Melville, Wesley College and now Gosnells. Um, what is it about coaching that sort of fulfills you most and how rewarding it is it is seeing youngsters sort of come through? Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I mean, I, at my current role, I mean, at Wesley, when I was there, it was just purely, you know, it was an opportunity just to kind of dip my toe in the water. And same with Melville, to some extent, I was still playing there and um, you know, was an assistant coach and learnt a lot of things. But I guess the going to Gosnells, where for me, it was a really, I, I get driven by kind of people saying you can't do something or like wanting to prove people wrong a little bit. And Gosnells is a bit of an uncharted territory a little bit. No one's really had great success out there for a sustained mm. period. Um, always had really talented young juniors coming through with that just lack direction. And the biggest thing I think we took for granted, and I, it's, since I've gone to Gosnells, I've probably noticed it more through my time at Melville, was um, how lucky the club was to have such good senior players as, as their mm. benchmark for their career club and um you know there's no reason there's no surprise that you know for for the time my period at melville how successful we were just with the players and caliber of people that we had in our first 11 and and around the club um so gosnell's and any you know for me it's it's a different challenge because i've had to learn things for the first time as a, as a head coach um patience is one yeah. um and being able to communicate with the a younger and a different demographic to probably what I came up through mm. um, when I was at a similar age, and also um, it's really exciting. And you and you do get for me like you know I had two weeks ago we were, we got hit for just under four hundred against Mount Lawley, and I was in my mind I was like at the first drinks break I was like I'm retiring I'm I'm done <laughs> I'm uh, I can't do this anymore <laughs> and. Um, and to see like us, the players kind of come out on a Sunday, and we beat Rockingham in our Colts and our T and put and our first grade in T in T Twenty games, and it's kind of gives me a different purpose rather than worrying any rather than worrying about uh, what I'm doing, mm. you know, like being able to help others, and that for me is, you know, we had a, a guy um, that I, I think's got a huge amount of potential. Uh, we had to drop him from ones to twos this this game just gone um he's just very raw but you know we challenged him on a few things and in, and yeah you know, he went out in the weekend and got 130 in our twos like the performances like that um for me i get more um oh, i enjoy it I, and i feel really proud and, and kind of i get a lot of pride out of watching some of our younger guys go about their stuff and you can see the development and, and see them learning, and for me, that's that's makes the job worthwhile. Um, yeah. I know that long, you know, we'll we'll get success. It's not going to come overnight, and there's a lot of things we've had to change. Um, but I feel that we've got a lot of really good young kids there that with really good attitudes. That I think for me, and that's every time I see them put a performance forward, or or you know, some of our other grade teams have wins and so forth, and. For me, that's it's really pleasing, and I guess makes the job worthwhile. Although, as I said, that you have yeah. you have a couple of tough days here and there, but mm. yeah, 
Yeah. Got to take with the, the good with the bad. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so you're coming off two games uh, from the weekend just gone. Uh, how the boys gone so far this season and how are you finding the balance between the uh, coaching and the playing? Yeah, it's um, it's something that, I mean, I, this will be, I, I, well, very very unlikely, but this is probably my last year of playing. So um, coaching and playing, it's, that's something that's it's a really tough balance. And I, I, when I took the role initially, I'd never planned to play. Yep. I'd only just planned to coach. Um, but as I mentioned, when I got out there and started pre-season, I could just see the whole wheel missing inexperienced players and just some direction and leadership um particularly in our ones but across the whole the whole club so that kind of changed my mind pretty quickly after about four or five weeks of pre-season <laughs> so um that that's that's always a challenge making sure that i'm getting enough what i need to make sure i'm ready to go on the weekend but also i don't want it to to jeopardize the time i put into making sure the, the players are ready or I've, they've got someone there looking over or giving them a hand and so forth um and in regards to was it the 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 weekend was it yeah the weekend yeah. is gone how the season's gone yeah the season look we, as i said we're a young group we've we've our ones are we're, we're doing it pretty tough at the moment and that's just we've lost lost a bit of unfortunately the interview has to cut short there with ryan duffield uh, the audio did not save uh, correctly in the software so we've had to cut it short unfortunately but uh, the whole interview was about 50 minutes. He did answer all your questions. So if you want to uh, find out what the answers were, feel free to message us on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter and we'll try and answer that for you. But otherwise, thanks for listening to the Senate Wicket Podcast.